Amen. Good morning. Good morning. You guys can be seated. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. We'll bring up some house lights for you in case you want to use the Bible that are in the chairs in front of you. I texted those words, oh, I texted that verse to Jana yesterday. I changed the passage we were going to read for her to read uh, yesterday. And so she got it, and I guess she was in the car or something. And so Siri read the passage to her. And I said, we should do that on Sundays. We just totally get that done, right? 750, 800-ish years before Jesus goes to the cross, those words were written about his death, right? And, and it isn't just amazing that someone would endure that, right? It, it isn't just that Jesus was crucified. I mean, many people were crucified. For that matter, Jesus was crucified between two other people. But what is distinct and unique and different is how Jesus willingly went to the cross, how he endured the cross, and how he gives that to us. So we're in this series called, What is the Gospel? And so today, here's a, the main idea. The gospel is Christ's power. The gospel is Christ's victory alive in us by the Holy Spirit. It is not us living in our own strength. Jesus isn't just an example, but the very power of God in us. I want to say that again. Jesus isn't just a good moral example. He isn't just the right way to live. He isn't just a good example. Jesus is the very power of God in us. When we live in the gospel, we live empowered by the gospel. When the spirit of God lives in us, it empowers us. And it takes that victorious life that Jesus lived and the same spirit in Christ lives in us. It's the power of the gospel inside of us. So we're going to be in Mark 14 today. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We worked through the first 25 verses. We're going to finish the chapter today, again, looking at the idea that Jesus isn't just a good moral example, but he's actually the very power of God in us. Starting in verse 26, it says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Just left Passover, right? Jesus was in, was seating, seated, seated, man, good thing, I'll talk for a living. So, let's try this again. Jesus is at Passover with his disciples. He is at a meal with his disciples. He takes that meal, that long foreshadowing of Jesus to come, and he sits with the bread and breaks the bread, and he says, this is my body broken for you. He takes the cup and he blesses it and he says, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. The very words we use each week as we celebrate communion together of Christ's sacrifice for us. And each week we talk about that this is a means of grace. This is actually something that strengthens the Christian, right? That it is a way that God strengthens and carries and nourishes us through. And so Jesus is leaving that meal and as he looks to his disciples, he says, you're all going to fall away because I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, quoting an Old Testament prophecy about his death. So I want to read that one more time. Verse 27, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So why does Jesus tell them that they're all going to be scattered? Why does he say, listen, when I die, this is what's going to happen, right? And he's leading up to a lesson they need to learn. He's telling them, here's what's going to be your natural reaction. Here's how you're going to respond to this. 
And again, there's a message in that for us. The next verse, verse 28, he says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So he says, listen, but I'm also being, I'm going to raise from the dead. Now, this has been a message that Jesus has been telling his disciples. And again, you have to give the disciples a break. Imagine you're in that moment and someone is telling you, I'm going to die, but I'll be back in three days. Right? You're trying to wrap your head around this and say, okay, what can he possibly mean? Because people don't just die and return. And so as he teaches his disciples this, they have a hard time understanding what he means. Now he tells them, listen, when I die, it will scatter you. The, the, the struggle, the stress, the, the strain on you is going to push you away. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be confusing because I'm going to die, I'm going to come back. But again, they don't fully get that. And so in the middle of that, he says, listen, you're not going to get it, and it's going to push you away. You see, the gospel is this message of victory, but that victory runs through the cross, right? It's, it's, yes, it's the understanding that God loves us. Yes, it's understanding, it's the knowledge of the, the level of sin inside of us, our need for a savior. Yes, that savior is Jesus. Yes, it's about Jesus dying to forgive our sin. But if it just stopped there, like much of the gospel today stops, you're forgiven and then you can go to heaven. But if it stops there, we miss the victorious nature of the gospel. That Jesus not only had victory over sin in life, that he was victorious over temptation, that he, had, that he overcame all the temptations of this world and lived a sinless life. So there's, there's that, but he also has victory over death. That Jesus, in the gospel, raises from the dead the very penalty for sin that humanity inherited from sin that, as God said in the garden, on that day you'll surely die. Like physical death is a, an implication, a part of the penalty for sin. Without sin in this world, there'd be no death. There'd be no COVID. There'd be no cancer. And it's not necessarily your sin equals your thing. But it's that we live in a fallen and broken world. But Jesus has overcome that world. That Jesus, very nature of the resurrection, is having victory over death, over sin and over death. In 1 Corinthians it says this, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we confuse the gospel. We understand, maybe we understand the victorious nature of the gospel in Jesus. Maybe, maybe we get that yes, Jesus was victorious here, but we missed it. That's what we inherit through the gospel, that in his resurrection, we get new life. In his ascension, as he pours out his spirit on the church, that we are empowered to live, that his victory is given to us. See, we're not just forgiven versions of ourselves that then have this moral leader that we can follow and go, okay, well, he did this, so I probably should do that, or he didn't do this, so I shouldn't do that, and so he's just this model, and then we white-knuckle it through life trying to do that. See, the gospel isn't supposed to be lived out in our strength. It's supposed to be lived out in Jesus' strength. Right? That my history of drug addiction and, and, and all the things that came with my history was not overcome by my efforts, but by Christ's efforts. Christ's efforts here. 
That as he goes to the cross, that it's in the strength of God, that he goes, that he endures this, that he endures these things for me, that he goes to the grave for me. Yes, he does forgive my sins, but also he rose from the dead that I might live today, that you might live today, that you can have victory over the things that plague you. Maybe they are like mine, maybe they're unlike mine. But that victory is his. And in the gospel, that victory lives in you. Verse 29, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. You got to love Peter. (laughs) He says the things we're thinking. He just says them out loud. I just want you to go through the mindset of Peter for a minute. See, in order to learn from Peter, you kind of got to work through the process. So he's confessed Jesus is Christ. Hebrew word for that is Messiah. What that really means is the promises of God fulfilled in him. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Like, he believes there's some divinity in there, too. He believes Jesus is human. He lives alongside him. But he also believes he's the Savior. He's placed his trust in him. Like most of us, we would say those words. But then Jesus says, listen, you're all going to be scattered. And here's what Peter believes. Well, they all probably will, but not me. <laughs> you see it, right? He's flexing inside, Right? Jesus is like, you're all going to fall away. Peter's like, not me. I mean, I have questions about John, but not me. You know what I mean? Matthew, he didn't start out well anyhow. We do that, right? Jesus, you're God. Jesus, you're my Savior. Jesus, you're always right, except right now, because I'm a little bit better on the curve, right? That's Peter. Verse 30, and Jesus says, when truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. All the disciples are like, ride or die. We can do this. We've got this. They're minutes away from failure. Right? But what are they thinking? They're thinking they're better than that. They're thinking they're stronger than that. They're thinking that what they have, whatever that is, it's enough, right? It's healthy for us to hear that, that idea that we can do it. It's healthy for us to just listen to the disciples, and especially Peter. And again, he says the things we're thinking. It's healthy for us to understand that and work through the process of how did he arrive there? He does, he thinks he's strong enough for the moment. He think they, they all think they can kind of rise to the challenge. They don't really understand it. That's okay. We don't either. But we often just figure out, like, hey, I think I can get through it. Like, I think there's enough in me. Like, I've been through this. I think I can handle this, right? And Jesus is like, you're all going to be scattered. This is going to break all of you. And they're like, no, not, not me. Yeah, yeah, you, right? Verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. So Jesus is on his way. This is the night Jesus was betrayed, He knows he's on his way to be betrayed, which is going to turn into a false arrest, a fake trial, and and fake condemnation, which will result in his death. The very thing he's been predicting all along. This is what's happening, and and it's going to happen tonight. And so he says, come with me. I'm going to go and pray. And so they go to this garden called Gethsemane, and he says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Verse 33. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled, 
And he said to them, this is to the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. This is Jesus saying, listen, in this moment, I'm struggling. Like inside my soul, I'm aching. I'm hurting. This is that moment. And he gives this invitation to pray with him. There's an opportunity here to spend this time with Jesus in prayer. Verse 33, and he took, excuse me, 35. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, that's another way of saying like daddy in Hebrew. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is a famous prayer of Jesus. You've all probably heard this before. He goes to the garden. He goes to this place where he can be alone and pray, brings his disciples. He tells them to sit and pray. He invites three a little closer, and he says, listen, I'm struggling with this moment. Like, if there's another way to do this, and that's his prayer to God, if there's another way to be salvation for humanity other than going through the flogging, the beating, the cross, the, the crucifixion, all that is ahead of me, if there's another way, God, let me do it another way. But not what I will. God, what you will. And he invites his disciples in this moment, allowing them to be a part of this, to know what he's going through for them. And he's asking them to pray with him. Verse 37, and he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and, you pray, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's a missed opportunity here, right? They have this opportunity to be a part of what Jesus is going through. They have this opportunity to pray with Jesus, right? Even the disciples, the others that are kind of on the fringe. There's eight sitting back here, three that have kind of gone this way. Judas has gone off to betray Jesus. And he invites them into this moment. And they have this missed opportunity as they literally fall asleep on the job. They literally have this moment to pray and they fall asleep. And I know some of you are thinking, you know, I struggle to pray at night. Like I start to pray, next thing you know, I'm asleep. And you're like, that, I do that, right? These are the guys that are like, listen, no matter what happens, we're in. We're down for the fight. Like, we could do this, right? We're not going to fall away. They can't even stay awake. But Jesus says this. He says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That will become really important to this conversation today. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here's a note on obedience. We see as, as he, excuse me, as Jesus submits to, forgive the typo, submits to God in all circumstances, no matter the cost. We also get flawed human examples like Peter that help reveal our flaws to us. We see as Jesus does this, we see Jesus doing it the right way. And again, Jesus isn't just a moral example. By the way, the typos in my notes clearly Ashley caught it and fixed it, so that's good. Yay. Okay, so go Ashley. But also alongside Jesus, who's doing it right, we get to watch the disciples who are normal. They're like you and me. They're flawed, they're broken, they screw up, 
They're like us. We get this contrast of obedience. And again, we do learn from them. We do what, learn what we should be doing, but we also hear the message, the, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Like there's a struggle, there's a battle inside of this that maybe we're not up to all the time. Maybe that we're not up to any of the time. Verse 39, and again, he, meaning Jesus, went away and prayed, saying the same words. So Jesus prays again. God, if there's any other way than the way I know, I want to do it another way. Verse 40, and again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Can you imagine that moment, right? He comes back, you're sleeping again, right? Now let's not laugh too much because don't you feel like that, right? Like God gives you a job to do. Jesus kind of gives you some direction. And you're like, I'm on it. I got this. And then they say, no, you're not doing it. Right? That just happens to me only. Good. Okay. So <laughs> he comes back. They're asleep again. Right? Verse 41. He came a third time. He said to him, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hours come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going and see my betrayer is at hand. Now there's a lesson in this, and this isn't necessarily what we want to hear, but let's look at the prayer of Jesus here for a minute. So Jesus goes and he prays. So Jesus is clearly our model in that sense. Jesus gets it right. He goes and he prays, but the outcome doesn't change. So his prayers are, are if there's another way, I don't want to do it this way, but I submit to you, God, well, his outcome doesn't change. See, when we go into prayer, really we're praying for the outcome to change, right? I need this, or I don't want this, or fix this, or get me out of this, or whatever it is. Jesus prays. We know that Jesus' faith is solid, that there's not sin in the way of him and his prayers, that he and God, that he's doing it well, but his outcome is no different, right? Peter misses the opportunity, as well as the others, and they're going to be scattered by the crucifixion, Jesus will go to the crucifixion, but he will endure it. He will get through it. And so in this moment, what we see in prayer is that prayer is, the, is, the, is strengthening Jesus. Even though it doesn't change the outcome, this connection with God drives him through what has to happen. And the missed opportunity, not only the missed opportunity to pray for Jesus, but the missed opportunity to be strong or be strengthened by God in that moment, that's what the disciples miss. So a lesson on prayer, we'll put this up. Jesus is strengthened by prayer even when the outcome isn't changed. But the disciples lack strength in the days to come. We need to learn this lesson. I know for me, the more I pray, praying for something, it's something big, and we're praying into a, praying for my wife, who most of you know is just chronically ill. It's been a long, long time. 19 plus years. And we'll pray when things are hard and we'll press into that. And I'm praying for a different outcome. That's what I'm praying for. I want something other than what she's going through. But I don't get a different outcome. I haven't gotten a different outcome yet. But there's been strength in the meantime. There's also been times where I leave that prayer and just because I didn't get my way, there's a frustration there. There's a struggle there. See, Jesus never says another word about the fact that he will go to the cross. He's had his moment. He said what was in his soul to say. 
And God has given him the fortitude to move forward. And he will go forward to the cross in the strength of God. The disciples who missed their moment, all over the map. We'll see some of that. Verse 43, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Verse 44, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him and laid his hands on them and they seized him. So Judas, the betrayer, goes away, sold out. He's taken money to betray Jesus over into the religious elite. And he brings him back to the garden where Jesus would pray, brings him into this place. And he tells him, listen, when I go up, I'll kiss him on the cheek. I'll do that. You'll know exactly who it is. And Judas betrays Jesus. Verse 47, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? That's all that Mark tells us, but John elaborates on this moment. John tells us it's actually Peter who does this, and he cuts off a man named Malchus's ear. So in this moment, they come out with like clubs, and they're going to, it's like they're going to arrest Jesus, and they come with weapons, and they do this. But somehow, Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus. What Peter is doing is responding in the way he thinks is right again, right? Hey, you're going to fall away at this. No, I won't. Here's this moment Judas is going to betray me. It's okay. I'm going to the cross. That's the plan. I'll be back, right? I'll be back. I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. Like there is a, It's God's plan. It's not... It's not just a random plan, it's God's plan. It's been around, we just heard it as Jana read it, this 750, 800 years before this moment, Isaiah penned that passage. Talking about the suffering servant who would die and resurrect from the grave. Jesus says, I go to fulfill this. But Peter wants to fight. Peter in his own mind has his own plan and in his own strength does what he can't. Verse 49, day after day I was with you, Jesus says, in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. I love that line. Jesus says, let the scriptures be fulfilled. I'm going to the cross. Like, I know what I'm to do. God has led me to this. God has empowered me for this. I'm going to go do it. He says, verse 51, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. I love Mark's inclusion of this passage. <laughs> You're like, this is this very serious moment about the cross. And then this. What it is, is that's actually Mark. Mark is a part of this story. And he includes this, that he's in this moment. Verse 53, and they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Now, here's the first of two scenes. What we're going to see in this next passage is kind of two scenes. They're side by side. They happen really close together. We're going to follow this one, and then this one, then this one, then this one. And so what we see is Jesus and the religious elite about to be falsely accused and tried. And so that's one scene. 
Verse 54, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself with the fire. And so just outside this is a crowd of people, and Peter has followed along. And so we've got Jesus and the council that's going to try him, and then we've got Peter and the crowd. We've got these two scenes that are parallel. They're happening at the same time, but they're kind of two stories for us to follow. Verse 55, and now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found one, found none, excuse me. So we're back at Jesus and the council is going to try him. They're looking for a reason to execute him and can't find a good reason. Verse 56, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. So really, they can't get their lives together, and they're kind of trying to quote some of the things Jesus has said and turn them into what they want them to say, right? But they can't get their stories together. Verse 60, and the high priest stood in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? So literally, Jesus on trial for his life, invited to speak on his own behalf. But listen, verse 61, but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? In other words, the son of God. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So Jesus is falsely accused here and invited to defend himself and he doesn't. And then pointedly asked, are you the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God? And Jesus says, yes, I am. And you will see me in my power. I'm not defending myself here because God has a plan for me to go through the cross into that power. But yes, I am. And you will see this. I love that Jesus makes no defense. Right again, he's left this moment, he's in the garden, he's praying, God meets him in that moment, he's honest, don't want to do this, right? Literally, this is the most violent death known to humanity. I say this all the time, the word excruciating comes from the Latin excrucis, meaning from the cross, that it's so painful that the cross gives a new adjective for it. That this death is so violent that the Romans perfected beating and torturing a man and keeping him alive so that the pain would last longer. So when Jesus prays, if there's any other way, he means like if there's any other way. Like a car crash on the freeway, way better, right? Than the cross. But not my will, your will, God. And never makes another moment about it. So they falsely accuse him. He could go, that's a lie. I was going to say something else. We'll clean it up. That's not true. <laughs> that's better. Don't say that. Are you the son of God? I am. And you'll remember this moment. Never defends himself. Verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. That means kind of uh, belittling God or speaking poorly about God, claiming to be God is what they're charging him with. And so he says, what is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him saying, prophesy. 
and the guards received him with blows. They beat Jesus. Jesus is falsely condemned and sentenced to death. But this is what Jesus said was coming all along. This is what Jesus has said, this is the plan. Well, let's back up a few chapters. In Mark 10, Jesus says this, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. He says this is the plan. This is God's plan. This is the plan in Scripture. This is the plan I'm going to do, and I do it willingly. And they'll abuse me, yes. And they'll kill me, yes. But I will return, and three days I will rise from the dead. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. So scene two, right? We leave this counsel, accusation, trial, kind of kangaroo court moment for Jesus, right? And then we shift to the crowd, and there's Peter. Remember, Peter's outside this setting in a crowd, warming by the fire. That's where we left off with Peter. And it says, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. So a young servant girl now confronts Peter, verse 67. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you were also with the Nazarene Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and a rooster crowed. So what happens here? So back to our tough guy, Peter, who is not going to fall away, who is quick to use a sword, until a little girl confronts him and says, don't you know Jesus? And he just breaks down, right? Well, now just Jesus has been falsely accused, falsely condemned. They're sentencing him to death, and all of a sudden, Peter is a different guy. Verse 69, and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. So the girl accuses Peter of being a disciple of Jesus. But again, verse 70, he denied it. And after a little while, bystanders again said to Peter, certain you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. So more people say, Peter, I think this is you, right? Verse 71, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. We all know how this feels. Right? We've all been there. We know what God calls us to when we set off like a rocket, like we got this handled. Right? I can do this. We got this covered. And then we fail epically. And then there's that moment of recognition of, oh, yeah, completely failed that one. It says Peter just breaks in that moment and weeps. Now, things are going to pivot. Things are going to get better. They're going to get worse before they get better. But we have these two parallel stories today. Right? We have the story of Jesus who is headed to the cross. He is going to die. He's going to suffer and die. So there's Jesus. And we have this story paralleling Jesus of Peter, right? Of Peter saying, I'll never abandon you. No, and he even gets the other disciples to go, no, we're all with you. Like, no matter what, we'll die beside you. Okay, well, let's pray. And they fall asleep, right? And then they go, and there's a, they, they are betrayed by Judas and then taken away and arrested and falsely accused. And Jesus is put on this, this false trial. And they accuse Jesus of things, but he never defends himself. He just stands up and takes it until they ask him if he is the Savior, the Son of God. And he says, yes. And they jump up and down and shout, and they're all upset, and they're, that's it. 
He claims to be God. That's blasphemy. Let's put him to death. And they begin to beat him and abuse him. But then we snap back to Peter again. And there's Peter with no real risk. Right? They're not after him. But even when a little girl asks him, hey, aren't you with Jesus? Nope. Wasn't me. We see these two parallel stories. Right? So what's the big takeaway It just can't be that Jesus does well. He does the right thing, and hey, go try harder to do the right thing, right? Because that's not the message. See, the message isn't that Jesus shows us what to do. It's that Jesus is victorious in our place. In Mark 14, he said this earlier. We just read this, verse 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. He says, listen, the spirit inside you is willing. You have the right mind. You have the right heart to do this, but your flesh, the place where sin lives in your body is weak. It's weakened by flesh. He says, that's what I overcome. I've overcome the sin. I've overcome the flesh. I've overcome death. And so Jesus will go off to the cross and resurrect from the grave, and that's what we inherit Now, Peter lives in this moment just before that, and we capture this moment so that we can see what it looks like. Because Peter's no worse than the rest of us. I mean, in all honesty, Jesus chooses Peter to be a disciple. That's a pretty amazing blessing. But Peter's human. Peter's flawed. Peter's broken like you and I are. He means well. He meant it. I'm not going to fall away. He meant it. Let's fight right here in the garden. He just fails, like you and I do. He just fails, and he misses his moment to switch from what he thinks he is strong enough to that moment in the garden where he could have told God, I'm not strong enough, I need your strength. He could have, he had that moment to just admit, hey God, I'm not enough for this. I need you. How the story would be different, we'll never know. When we get this moment that pivots around prayer where Jesus derives strength and Peter misses his opportunity. We'll put this on the screen. Jesus' lesson on prayer. Prayer isn't always about changing our circumstances. Jesus will still be betrayed and Peter will still be confronted, but rather preparing us for our circumstances. You see, we are strong not because we are strong. We are strong because Christ is strong. We have victory in these moments of trial, not because we're any good, because the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. But Jesus says, don't worry about the flesh. I've overcome the flesh. And I've lived and I've died and I've resurrected and ascended back to heaven so I can pour out my spirit on you. Place my spirit in you. It's Christ's victories that carry us through. See, we're not defined by our greatest failures but rather we're defined by Christ's greatest successes. And we're empowered by the same spirit that leads Jesus. It's just, do we recognize that? Do we know that? Do we we know enough to go, God, you know what? I put on a good face, but I'm not that good. I puff my chest up and, and say I can handle it, but I can't. And that's that moment even Jesus has in the garden, that moment of weakness is where God pours into him strength. 
But it's that moment of strength that Peter just kind of lands on his own strength. And where Jesus is like, no, you're not going to get it. You'll learn, but it won't be tonight. And we're invited into that. To where Jesus can live this life for us and through us. Where we don't have to be defined by our greatest failures, but rather we can be empowered because of Jesus' greatest successes. And that's our choice today. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We gather to worship you. We all have our own stories of how you have transformed us. You invite us into this. And when we think our strongest, we think, oh, I got this. You're like, no, it's it's not going to work that way. But you teach us that while while we are at our weakest, that's when you get to empower us. And so you go to the cross and you go to the grave, but you resurrect from there and you give that power to us. And you do so in the gospel. You do so that we might overcome, that we might have victory in this world as well. So would you lead us and guide us today? And as we take communion together today, Lord, would you remind us that this, you strengthen us. It's your strength, not our own. The gospel is your power in us through the spirit, not mine, not our power, not our strength, not our intelligence, not our giftedness, but you. You, through the power of the gospel, implanted in us through your spirit, will you strengthen us for this week, Lord? It's in your name we pray. Amen.